0: Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is looking at the top 100 players on ESPN.com. So ESPN listed their uh, list of the top 100 NBA players going into the NBA season this year. We are each picking out three different things that stood out to us on this list. So Jalen, what is one thing that stood out to you on this list?
1: Okay, well I'm gonna start off with a heater, and it's gonna be the fact that my guy Zach Levine for the Chicago Bulls. It, this is this is blasphemy right here, bro. Top top ten. In scoring last year, and Lonzo Ball is considered better than him. Tyler Hero is literally within three spots of Zach Levine. Zach Levine isn't even in the top 50. Like, I don't know if this has something to do with the fact that they project the Bulls as not being a playoff team, and therefore they're considering him to not be be as effective as a player, considering that he's not doing it in a winning effort. But as an individual player in the NBA, Zach Levine is a top 50 player as of right now. And even if you don't consider him to be a top 50 player in the NBA, he dang sure is better than Lonzo Ball right now. And I don't think that's very much of an argument because of the fact that Zach Levine has slowly improved defensively. And I think although last year was kind of odd and not very exciting under Jim Boylan, I do think that he helped improve the team defensively last year. Um, in a way that was desperately needed. And, of course, it does need to take a step up. And Zach Levine has a lot to do with setting the tone for that. But although Lonzo Ball is – you could consider him a relatively elite one-on-one defender and um, elite team defender, I don't consider Lonzo Ball's defense to be better than what Zach Levine provides offensively, especially with the fact that Zach Levine has proven that he's more than the dunk contest winner that he was once upon a time. The dude can spread the floor – Play off the ball. He's become a guy who's starting to get better at facilitating as well. I don't see how a guy in Lonzo Ball who's had two years, three years, really, where you've had a certain level of expectation for him, and every following year he says, "Watch out for me. We're I'm going to shock the world," and then he has to kind of send the same message out on Twitter at the end of the season all over again. Versus a guy in Zach Levine who since coming from Minnesota, has really shown why he could be at least a number two option on a championship team, if not at least be a young leading piece on a team like the Chicago Bulls that kind of needs a staple for the franchise. I don't understand why the heck Lonzo Ball is above Zach Levine.
0: I don't understand either. And I think that with a guy like Zach Levine, he can score from anywhere on the floor. And like I said in the Eastern Conference Shooting Guards episode, he's turned into – maybe one of the best shooting guards in the league, and he's become even more than just a dunker. But I have a lot of gripes with this list, and I'm just going to name a couple players that I feel like that should be moved up on this list. First of all, Montrezl Harrell at number 76. Sixth man of the year, he's averaging close to 19 points a game, nearly seven rebounds. He's one of the best defenders in the league. I don't understand why a guy like Montrezl Harrell is at 76, especially like you said, when he's basically under guys like Lonzo Ball, and I can understand there's a chance that Harrell isn't going to be the sixth man of the year again. But you're telling me that you're going to put Montrez Harrell, a guy who averages close to 19 and seven a game, over a guy who averages 11 and seven. Can't happen. I'm sorry, it can't happen. That's number one. Number two, putting Fred VanVleet at number 40 when he had just secured the bag. Secured the bag. He's one of the best three-point shooters in the league. He's a great defender, and he's arguably one of the best shooting guards in the league. That's another guy where I kind of wonder why is he at the spot where he's at. And then Karis LeVert, who is arguably the most underrated shooting guard in the Eastern Conference. And he's a guy who can average 20-5 and five a game. And it's another one where I just have to wonder, why are they placed in the positions that they are? Especially when, I will go back to the same argument that you make, why guys like Lonzo Ball are ahead of guys like Montrezl Harrell. And why Fred VanVleet is behind a guy like Kyle Lowry.
1: I mean, to kind of go down the list, I mean, I am not. I don't have as much gripe with the Montrez Harrell one as you do. Um, personally, the way I look at that one is just the fact that I think there's no way he's going to be able to perform in the same kind of role that he did um, for the Clippers. I think he was asked to do a lot of what he was doing beforehand. There's still a question as to whether or not he'll be put in a similar position with the Lakers. Um the first thing would we'll just come down to his position overall. Is he going to be a small ball center for them coming off the bench? Is he going to be a guy they try to start at the four next to Anthony Davis? Is he a guy that's going to start next or uh, start um, with Schroeder as the first two guys to come off the bench? Um, there's a lot of questions as to where he mixes and matches in this lineup because really depending on who he's put next to, he plays a lot of different positions. And we've seen that in the Western Conference, Dominant centers are able to kind of put foots on Montrez arrow, And there's a lot of them in there. There's a lot of very dominant offensive centers, not even just in the Western Conference, but in the league. And although he does have Anthony Davis backing him up, AD has made it pretty clear that he's not a huge fan of playing the five. And does that mean that maybe Montrez plays the you know plays the five in certain situations potentially but I think the biggest thing with him in terms of predictions for Montrezl it just comes down to the fact that right now he's relatively positionless because the only thing we can kind of assume is that he's going to be the second unit four man and I mean if that's the circumstance then I I think I completely agree with you because then he's playing within the same role as he did last year the only difference is his 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 guard partner is Dennis Schroeder instead of Lou Williams but I mean, without the knowing really what the, the circumstances of him being on this team is, it's kind of a toss-up as to how that whole thing works. I think when it comes to Fred Van Vliet, I think I agree with that one a lot more because looking at that one, I love my guy John Morant. But 31 after one season, and we're going to talk about Zion a little bit later because he's the elephant in the room right now, I feel like, um, outside, outside of uh, Luka Doncic, who is another guy we'll end up discussing. But John Morant at 31 over a guy in Fred Van Vliet, I feel like Fred Van Vliet is a more complete a more complete offensive and defensive player right now. I think John Morant, um, the flash is there, the athleticism is there. I think his leadership and ability to distribute the ball is there. But Fred Van Vliet, he's played championship basketball the last two years and shoots the three significantly better than John Morant or at least relatively better than John Morant. I would say that he's not the facilitator that Jaw is, but he can help facilitate the ball from the two guard spot. Something that you usually don't ask your two guard to do. And on the fact of the the fact of the matter is that I think that Fred VanVleet is just a more sound one-on-one and team defender, and I think that's a little bit more important than just the fact that we know Jaw can jump out the gym. And I again, I love Jaw. I literally have converted to being a Grizzlies fan because of Jaw Morant because I watched him. Um, in college before he burst onto the NBA scene, and I was a big fan. So I love I, I love his play, and I think in year two, he's going to bounce off of a rookie of the year and make Memphis a really dangerous team in the Western Conference. But I think we're sleeping on Fred Van Vliet, like you said beforehand. We, we could talk about him securing the bag, but it's not even just that. I think it's the fact that right now he's just an overall better player, and I think ESPN is projecting some of these younger guys A lot to take a lot more significant jumps in year twos and year threes than I think the league will actually allow. I'm not saying these guys will regress, but I think that these guys are getting placed a little bit higher up on a pedestal out of the recency bias of the fact that all three of these guys and Ja, Zion, and Luka Doncic all did things that were relatively amazing and eye-popping off the page last year. But I agree with you. There's definitely some wonky placements in here. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting.
0: Yeah, and I brought up those three players specifically because of the fact that last season they've had some of their best seasons. Karis LeVert, I think, gels with Brooklyn on the floor. Like I mentioned before, I think that Karis LeVert also is a guard that is overlooked. Jalen, you've mentioned time and time again, Karis LeVert – if he leaves Brooklyn, he could be the number one option on any team. And he's proved that by playing in Brooklyn. Fred VanVleet, you've already mentioned it a couple of times. He is arguably one of the best shooting guards in the league. And I think that he's going to be able to grow as a player. And I think he's going to be able to eventually become the best shooting guard in the Eastern Conference, maybe the best shooting guard in the league. And then Montrose Harrell, I do disagree with some of your points. I think that his role is definitely going to change with the Lakers as he's probably going to end up becoming a starter, maybe playing the five like you mentioned. So I think that's just going to be interesting going forward. Jalen, what's the second thing that stood out to you about this list?
1: Honestly, I think the next thing that kind of stood out to me is just, you know – I touched on it a little bit on it when I was referring, like, you know, answering your point or responding to your point that you made about Montrezl Harrell when it comes to the younger guys. I just find it really interesting how much hype the media has around Zion Williamson in, in, in season two. I understand that um, the coaching situation is different. Uh, It seems like they're giving Lonzo Ball the keys with the removal of Drew Holiday from the offense um, and from the team as a whole. Um, I think that they're basing 20 games and looking at it with a per 36 kind of view, um, very analytical, very um, super projecty. And it's one of those things where they're taking 20 games, looking at it with a per 36 view, as I mentioned beforehand, trying to expand it over a 70 game, 72 game spurt, assuming that Zion's going to play anywhere between 55 and 65 of those 70 to 72 games. I think there I think there's too many things being calculated to go correctly for Zion Williamson. I think they're trying to also take into consideration the fact that so far there hasn't been any any statements about a minute restriction which was pretty much the talk of the town when Zion was returned um after the all-star break was that he came back with about a 20 to 25 minute minute restriction and that's something that right now Van Gundy has not announced or made clear to anybody which makes it seem as though he's going to be able to play a bit freer this year um I think we're also projecting that like he's fully healthy and I don't know if that's something that we can also put in to consideration too and I know that we're gonna you know make similar arguments for guys like Kevin Durant but I think with Zion is very specific out of the fact that he has a significant his, injury history that spanned over the last three to four years prior to even making the league. So his, his history is a lot more recent than even a guy like Kevin Durant is, for example. So just assuming that Zion is coming back fully healthy and is somehow two spots below Devin Booker, above Paul George, above Kyrie Irving, above Russell Westbrook, I think it's like, man, talk about having a lot of faith in a kid coming off of an injury in 20 games as this sample size who somehow still snuck into the rookie-to-year race. Like, the media loves this kid. It's clear. You can see it in the list.
0: I don't follow the hype. I'm not into people saying that Zion is as good as he is. I think my issue with Zion is that he's starting to get overhyped. And then when you mentioned the injury history that he's had, I think that's just one issue with him right now is that the injuries are a problem right now. And I know he's a rookie. He's, He's only been held to about 24 games this year and granted he's performed well in 24 games, but they're giving him a lot of credit for somebody who's only played 24 games and, he kept getting pushed to become the rookie of the year when John Morant should have won it in the first place, considering that he played more games than Zion. And let's face it. I don't think that I'm not buying into the hype that Zion is the next generation of the great basketball players. Like they pushed LeBron James to be the next great basketball player. And granted he was, but I'm not following the same hype that, Zion has right now as compared to a guy like LeBron James. But going into the next uh, thing that I noticed about this list, Bradley Beal is ranked below Paul George. For a guy in Bradley Beal that averaged 30 points a game, who doesn't get talked about nearly as much as Paul George. And the fact is, Bradley Beal has been snubbed from a lot of the big lists. He's also been snubbed from a lot of all star teams. He averages 30.5 points a game and six assists. He shoots 45.5% from the field. Bradley Beal is arguably the best shooting guard in the league. To put Paul George over Bradley Beal, it doesn't seem fair because the season that Paul George had last year was not as good as the season that he had the year before where people were calling for the MVP trophy to be handed to him he had one of his best career seasons in 2018. But then if you look at Paul George last season, he wasn't the same guy. He wasn't playing like the same guy. I could argue he was significantly worse than the Paul George that we saw in 2018. And then he just got the contract. So I don't know. Something something tells me that Bradley Beal should be above Paul George. And I feel like even though Paul George has played less games. his numbers are nowhere close to Bradley Beal's are right now. I guess they're hoping that Paul George can rebound from last year. But I don't know. I'm not buying it. I'd rather take a guy like Bradley Beal who's pretty much guaranteed to give you great numbers, and he's guaranteed that he can be consistent at that position instead of a guy like Paul George where he's bricking shots off the side of the backboard.
1: Yeah, man, I think this is definitely another one of those projection kind of things. Um, Bradley Beal suffers from the same kind of um, media under the radar tendencies that a guy like Drew Holiday, who I'm a big fan of, also suffers from Um, because you could argue he's better than Paul George. That's number 20. You can argue he's better than Zion Williamson, Right? at least right now. That's number 19. You can even argue that he's better than Devin Booker, and that's at 17. So you can see all the projection is there. The assumption with Paul George is he just signed an extension, and I think this list may have came out um, just a day or two before the um, the list was uh, – I mean, before the contract was signed. Um, but the assumption is that Paul George will have a bounce-back year coming off of a circumstance in which – you know, there was a lot of things in that locker room that seemed to not be going right, and it seems like now that they've kind of purged things, the coaches switched, things are significantly different within the overall structure of the team. As of right now, they're assuming that Paul George is going to have a bounce back year in year two with his new team. Zion Williamson, we've already discussed it. I think that they've just projected that with more games, with more minutes equals outstanding numbers, outstanding PR, great per 36 minutes, uh, uh, great per 36-minute stats. So, um, yeah. And then when it comes to Devin Booker, I think the projection with him is, oh, they gave him CP3 as the point guard. That is going to open a lot up for his game. He's already a 18 to 20-plus point per game score. Give him CP3 as another facilitating option who also takes a little bit of pressure off of him as a scorer. He's going to be able to thrive on the defensive end now because rather than just having to be a guy who has to give his team all the buckets in the world, then now he can kind of show the overall two-way player that to a certain extent we got glimpses of last season. And earlier on in his Kentucky days, we kind of saw him as more of a two-way player because of that platoon style that they had where you kind of had to make your minutes count. So I think Bradley Beal could arguably arguably be as high as maybe 16 or 17 on this list. But again, you know, media market stuff looks at it and says – Paul George is in a really good spot right now in terms of their team being one of the top teams in the Western Conference. Zion Williamson is on a New Orleans Pelicans team that's supposed to be on the uptick, and he's going to be playing more minutes. And the Suns, you could argue, potentially, that the Suns may have had the best offseason next to maybe Atlanta and maybe the Lakers just by getting Chris Paul, because everyone has said for probably the last three to four years that if you got Devin Booker, an elite point guard, um, to pair him with in the backcourt, he was going to become an all-star caliber level player. And he already felt like that to me, but of course, Chris Paul unlocked something significantly um beyond what we've already seen from Devin Booker, um, with them both being in the same backcourt. So I agree with you, man. I think putting Bradley Beal in the top uh the top 16 would be a serious argument to make. Um, I think that the biggest thing for me is just the fact that he's going to be a guy that we're going to have to keep our eyes out on just because you know that there's a lot of slander uh, around Westbrook's uh, Russell Westbrook's style of play. And that might've also impacted projection wise how they believed that Bradley Beal would play next season. So, I mean, it's, it's significantly arguable. Um, I like Bradley Beal as a player and I think that he could definitely argue with that.
0: Well, I think the issue with that take that you just mentioned with Russell Westbrook's style of play is the fact that, If they're worried about Russell Westbrook's style of play, then why'd you put Bradley Beal ahead of Russell Westbrook? That's another question that I have right now, because if you're so worried about it, then why isn't Russ ahead of Bradley Beal? And if you're talking about the the marketability of a guy like Zion Williamson and then a guy like Paul George, I can understand that, but if you're just basing media marketability over – how well somebody plays, it's disrespectful. And if you're saying that Bradley Beal at 30 points a game is worse than Paul George after the season that Paul George had, doesn't make any sense, Jalen.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely dangerous. I think that having Beal above Russ is, is a smart play. I think it's just because of the fact that you still have to factor in Russ's age, too. Like, let's not, you know, let's not sleep on that. Russ has an injury history. Russ is getting up there. Um, So as a guy who relies on his athleticism, again, this list is very projecty. We cannot just pretend like it's not. This is a very projecty list that likes to focus on the fact that certain circumstances are going to aid or hinder a player. And Russell Westbrook, third team in three years, getting up there, he's on the north side of 30 now. I think he's actually about to be 30. I think he's actually 32 now. Um, and he's in a circumstance, once again, where he's playing next to another guy who actually thrives a little bit more when he can be a bit ball dominant. Um, basically, you know, Bradley Bill's always been a 20-plus per, per, per game scorer. But that 30 points per game aspect came without John Wall in the circumstance where he pretty much was able to, you know, run with no leash, essentially. Um, Adding Russell Westbrook into the mix of that does kind of hurt both of them because, again, kind of like having him next to James Harden, which I don't think this is nearly the same circumstance. Bradley Beal can play way better without the ball than James Harden can and vice versa in terms of um, things with Russell Westbrook. I think Russell Westbrook can play – better as a facilitator with a guy like Bradley Beal as in terms in respects to having to facilitate for or with a guy like James Harden. So I think this fit is a little bit better, but I think that by them both being linked and there being so much unknown about the duo right now in terms of them working as a backcourt, that does kind of hurt both of them on this list as well. I'll tell you one guy who definitely got hurt by not being in the mix, Ryan, and I'm going to be honest. I know this is a PG podcast, but I'm pissed off. This makes no sense to me. Kevin Durant is number six on this list. I'll take LeBron James at number one. I might even let you argue that Anthony Davis at number two is valuable. Ryan, 80, even 80% of Kevin Durant is better than Kawhi Leonard, is better than Luka Doncic, and is better than Giannis Antetokounmpo. 80%. So I don't care what kind of projection they have. Kevin Durant has had a longer recovery time frame than anybody coming off of an ACL injury typically gets within a normal season. Between missing all of the regular season, the bubble extension, and the fact that the NBA season is still starting within – pretty weird circumstances, even with it starting earlier than we projected, he still got a longer wait time in terms of being able to recover than anybody in the NBA that's received an ACL injury and had to try to recover to come back in time for an NBA season start. There is no way in the world that you don't at least project Kevin Durant to be at least 80% of himself. You want to know what 80% of Kevin Durant was 11 points in seven in like less than 10 minutes. In the NBA finals, pure Jimmy, pure Jimmy's for a smooth five to 10 minutes, 11 easy baskets within the flow of the game. A guy who does not rely on his athleticism to play basketball, literally just wants to go out there and hoop. And is trying to put the city of Brooklyn back on the map, considering the fact that this is a Mecca state in New York, basketball wise that due to the Knicks' fraudulence lately and the fact that the Brooklyn Nets have been trying to recover from the from the trade made with the Boston Celtics once upon a time, this is the first time that the Brooklyn Nets are back actually back in the mix, and KD is a part of that. So out of everything projection-wise, I think they think Kawhi Leonard is better than he actually is. I think they're giving Luka Doncic way too much clout for the fact that he – was a rookie of the year and then dang near one most, most improved player of the year last season. And I think the fact that Giannis Antetokounmpo has two MVPs is clouding the judgment here. I even could argue that Anthony Davis is a guy that, although he probably should have won defensive player of the year last year, I still don't think that he's a better overall player than Kevin, De- Kevin Durant when healthy. So we're talking about a guy in KD who's potentially four spots too far back. Like, ESPN, we got to get it right. This ain't making no sense.
0: This is the thing that tipped me off about this list because it's not even just Kevin Durant, but let's talk about the third notable thing that I saw about this list. Damian Lillard not being in the top five. Okay, first of all, disrespectful. Second of all, did you see what he did in the bubble? Because that's all the evidence that you need. Being able to lead your team through an eight-game stretch beat the Memphis Grizzlies and then go into facing the Los Angeles Lakers and then beating them in game one, I thought was amazing. But then you look at Kawhi Leonard's numbers, game seven against Denver, arguably the worst thing that could have happened to the Clippers because Kawhi Leonard shot six of 22 from the field, two of seven from three, He had 14 points in arguably the most important game for the Los Angeles Clippers in order to get to the Western Conference Finals face the Lakers. And he collapsed. Yeah, he's number five. That's number one. Number two, Kevin Durant. For all of the reasons that you said about Kevin Durant, they're all correct. But I want to take it one step further. Why is he not number one on this list? Why is he not number one? I get LeBron James had the greatest season in the world. Greatest season ever. He should have won MVP. Was the hardest championship for him to win outside of 2016 when he beat the Warriors. Are we just going to act like Kevin Durant just doesn't exist? Because if Kevin Durant was not injured, the Brooklyn Nets would have won the championship last season. With the talent around them, Kyrie's healthy, Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, Joe Harris, you're going to tell tell me that team isn't going to win a championship over the Lakers, which are pretty much carried by LeBron James and Anthony Davis? You're going to tell me that Kevin Durant's not going to be a factor in that series when LeBron James was pretty much carrying the Lakers with Anthony Davis? Kevin Durant's arguably the best player in the world over LeBron James, you're going to tell me that Kevin Durant wasn't going to go for MVP if he was healthy. You're going to tell me that Kevin Durant isn't nearly the same player that he was three years ago when he was with the Warriors and put him at number six. Speechless Jalen, I'm speechless.
1: Yeah, sort of. Cause I don't know your, your gripes are interesting. Um, Damian Lillard is not a top five player in the NBA, bro. I I mean, I'm not going to say that seven was disrespectful. If anything, we're talking about KD coming back healthy. You're telling me that Luka Doncic and Damian Lillard, according to this list, are both better point guards than Steph Curry. And I think that alone is debatable. The list literally says that he's – that Luka's four – Damian is seven and Steph is eight. We both agree that Steph Curry is the best point guard in the Western conference, but somehow he's below Damian Lillard and Luka Doncic who we both had Steph Curry over in our list. So I'm a little dicey on putting Dame in the top five when I feel like Steph Curry is already too low and he's lower than Dame and Luka. The Kawhi Leonard thing Kawhi Leonard is a top 5 player in the NBA. I think you just pulled an ESPN a little bit with the recency bias. You pulled one game. I understand that he played limited minutes in terms of game in terms of games this past season on the whole load management thing. But let's not pretend that Kawhi Leonard is not a top two bare minimum two-way wing in the NBA in terms of playing on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. I think that Last year's letdown is would, would sway people to believe that Kawhi Leonard is somehow not a top five player in the NBA, and I just don't think that's that's true. I believe that five is pr- appropriate. I don't believe he's higher than five, but I believe he is a top five player in the NBA because he plays on both sides of the floor, and he does it at an, at an elite level. Um, my biggest argument here is Luka Doncic at four I think again I said it before and I believe that they're projecting extremely too high on Luka I think that they believe that year three is going to be some kind of jump that's like exponential in comparison to the last two years and I'm just going to be honest Luka set the bar high that shouldn't hurt him but he set the bar extremely high his first two years where like I think that year three can only increase, but so much without him literally what breaking the usage rate record. Like he's going to have to do something crazy. James Harden esque and like his team around him is built, especially with having Christos Porzingis next to him, a guy like Josh Richardson, who I think can definitely be a good backcourt piece alongside him. Guys like Hardaway, like they have pieces that can also score the ball. So Unless Luca Doncic is going to break the usage rate record or something, I mean, there's not Luca can only improve, but so much. Staying consistent would be great for a guy like this in year three, rather than regressing. But to think that he's going to take some significant jump and projecting that now all of a sudden he's the best point guard in the NBA over Damian Lillard and Steph Curry doesn't make any sense. Your final point the point that I think is the most important, the point that you clearly wanted everybody to get an understanding of the most. Ryan, if you're telling me that KD is the best player in the NBA, you're, you're talking to the wrong person. If you want to argument against it, but again, we're also getting a little projecty and that's why I said in my argument related to KD I'll put him over Kawhi. 80% of KD is better than Kawhi to me. 80% of, of KD is better than Luka Doncic, better than Giannis, better than AD, like I said before. You could argue that 80% of, 80% of Kevin Durant could be better than LeBron James. I don't necessarily believe that. I think you need 100% of KD, and I think he needs to be 100% healthy and engaged, something that we saw in his first two years at, at Golden State when he was <coughs> – starting to make himself a, you know, a, a, a dangerous defensive threat around the glass as a shot blocker, which is like something crazy to think about when you talk, talk about KD. He's already 6'11", plays like a guard. Now you're telling me he can swat like, like he's Rudy, Go, Rudy Gobert or something? This is ridiculous. So I do still think you need 100% of KD to be better than LeBron James. I would argue that KD is at least in the top two right now if we're doing it based off projection and not just overall body of work, um, the achievement award, I'm going to grant this guy uh, the number one spot, or I'll grant him this spot over said person because he has an MVP versus AAD who doesn't, stuff like that. That's not wh- what I'm saying. What I believe is that Kevin Durant, even at 80%, is an overall better talent than the four guys ahead of him. Debating against LeBron James, arguable. I think that one is significantly arguable. And if you want to go to bed for that, Find the Twitter stands who will battle you for it, because I definitely think that you could probably get a good route out of some of them. But I agree with you; with definitely at least arguing that Kevin Durant should be in the top two, and being in six is it—it's it, showing just how much they, you know, they being the media really enjoys the idea of narrative and projecting guys' talents to somehow exceed what is extremely valuable. I don't think Giannis is a guy who gets any better this year. I don't think Kawhi Leonard is a guy who's going to be very much different than who he was last season, maybe a little bit better defensively. Hopefully he plays a lot more games. Luka Doncic, I think they're projecting extremely high. I think Anthony Davis, they think that now the monkey off his back for getting, in terms of getting a championship, now is going to make him go off and turn into some MVP candidate. They're still not all better than Kevin Durant, bro. Simple.
0: So to answer all of your points first about Kevin Durant, I understand that it's about projections. Like we're projecting him to be 100% healthy, ready to go. That's mainly one of the reasons why I put him ahead of LeBron. Because before he got injured, he was arguably one of the best players in the NBA. He was one of the best shooters in the NBA. He was one of the best defenders in the NBA. And he had that killer mentality I've always talked about about him. I just think that we can't ignore the talents of Kevin Durant, and we cannot we can't act like Kevin Durant doesn't exist because he's always going to be there. Now he's in Brooklyn, and the team that he's on has a great chance of winning the NBA championship this year. That team, if he had been healthy last year, they could have made the NBA championship. And I can make an argument for why why Brooklyn is as good as I think they are, especially when they're healthy. Speaking of when healthy, Steph Curry. The reason why I feel like he's still at number eight is because of that argument of when healthy. I have him at number one because he is the greatest point guard when healthy. If he's healthy, yes, greatest point guard. But, we can't forget about the guys like Damian Lillard, who are absolute assassins on the court or who You're is coming an off of absolute... injury too. That's understandable. But given the amount of games that Damian Lillard played last year, compared yeah. to the amount of games that Steph Curry played, that's one of the reasons why I believe Damian Lillard should be in the top five. But that's nothing against Steph Curry. That's the other thing. And then Kawhi Leonard. You make an argument that Kawhi Leonard should be in the top five. I think based off last season, and it's maybe because of recency bias, like you said, I don't think he's a top five player anymore. I think last year hurt him and Paul George because the chemistry issues, the load management, the fact that they weren't playing well together on the court, the fact that they weren't even playing well separately when when one was on the bench and the other was on the floor. We cannot act like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are going to be the same players that they were two years ago. Paul George is not nearly the same player that he once was, especially in Indiana. He was great in Oklahoma city. He hasn't been great so far in Los Angeles. Kawhi Leonard, same with him. He was great in San Antonio brought Toronto a championship has not been great in Los Angeles. And more of it is probably because maybe I got my hopes up about how great this Clippers team was going to be. Maybe it was because Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are going to be the NBA's best duo over Steph and Clay, over Damon CJ, over Kyrie and KD when healthy, over Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. I can't lie to you saying that I didn't get my hopes up. When I thought that the Clippers were going to beat the Lakers, but let's be real—the fact of the matter is that Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are not the same players that they once were.
1: Yeah, I mean that's—I mean that's a great way to leave it off. I think that looking at these guys is going to be a lot very, very projective. This list is very projective. There's high expectations. You can tell that the media has a, a, a few favorites in there. You can also tell that they have a few teams that they already see narratives in and therefore they project some of their players a bit higher in in favor of some of those narratives um for example the sun's improving new orleans improving la bouncing back things of that nature as well so i mean a really interesting list as much as me and ryan might seem like we have gripes and beasts with this list These ESPN writers definitely still did their due diligence. I definitely still think they did their thing. And I don't think that this list is like, throw it in the garbage. I think this is a really interesting list. And I think it's always difficult when projecting how guys are going to come back healthy, come back after, you know, a shortened season in the case of uh, teams that went to the the playoffs last season, especially the LA Lakers, for example, who actually went the furthest in terms of winning the championship. So it's a really interesting list. And, of course, the most difficult thing is, hey, dude, it's 100 guys. It's 100 guys they have, to, they have to project and try to put in some kind of rankings. Me and Ryan had a hard time back when we did the first take ESPN top 15, just trying to come up with our own rankings to match the top 15 that they made. So we also understand that it's a really difficult list to make when you're taking all of that into account. So I don't want anybody to think that we just completely hate this list. It's just we have a couple of players that we're very fond of as well. And we think that maybe, you know, the media should give them a little bit more respect. Shout out to Bradley Beal. I think that's the main one on this podcast that we believe definitely should move up. But, Ryan, to kind of end things off, though, um, who is one guy who you believe by the end of the season will significantly – shoot up this list not a guy in the top 10 who will shoot up to number five not a guy in the top 20 who will shoot up to number 10 who's a guy who you think has the capability of moving up 20 or more spots by the end of this season
0: well jalen i know you are a fan of this guy and and you, you you don't really think that he should be as high as he is right now but i'm all in on this guy and that's john Morant. he won rookie of the year last year He averaged 18 points a game, seven assists, shot nearly 48% from the field, 33% from three. I think he can only get better from here. He's on a Memphis team that can be a playoff team this year, especially with the the up-and-coming supporting cast that he has with uh, guys like Jaron Jackson Jr. and uh, Dylan Brooks. So I think he can excel into one of the best players in the league.
1: Yeah, and I mean, hey, you're talking about a guy who's at like 31 right now. So a 15 to 20 spot jump, that would make him one of the better point guards in the league and make him a top five guard guard in the entire NBA. So talking about a very significant jump in in season two, which means that I got to cross my fingers and hope that there's no sophomore slump for him. Um, Another guy that I'm extremely fond of and the guy that I'm going to go with as a guy that I think is going to shoot up significantly, John Wall at 81, bro. I genuinely think John Wall on Houston, with James Harden, without James Harden, I think a healthy John Wall, especially in a great environment where he's going to be with a guy in DeMarcus Cousins, who he's wanted to play with DeMarcus Cousins for a while. I was really sad that DeMarcus Cousins didn't sign with the Wizards. Sounds like they had a little bit brewing to the point that it ended up working itself out. It just didn't happen in Washington. But now the Kentucky bros are back linked up in Houston, and I think that's going to help his self-esteem coming off of an injury because both of these guys are coming off injuries, which, although that doesn't project well, that also helps them both throughout their rehab process and their get-back-to-the-court process. They've both been getting pretty much right for about a year. John Wall's case, two years. You could argue Boogie's case, two years, because You know, he he re-aggravated an injury. That was the reason why he was out for pretty much all of last season. So these are two guys who have experienced a lot of the same things Um, injury-wise, are both trying to get their careers back on the right foot because both of these guys were considered top three at their position when they were healthy. And now they get to make a home in Houston together, something that they haven't been able to do since their college days, and I think that's going to put them in a really good position. So with or without James Harden, I think that John Wall is going to be a guy who is going to prove, granted, it'll be in the Western Conference now, but I believe that John Wall will prove why, why he is a top guard in this league. And I'll go on out on a limb by ending my take with a hot one by saying that I don't even just believe that John Wall will move up from 81. I believe that John Wall will move himself into the conversation of being within the top 10 to 15 guards in the entire NBA, not the point guard position, not just, not just shooting guards, the entire NBA in terms of the guard position. I think that he will arguably be back in the top 11 to 15 by the end of this year.
0: So transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, who is one player that you believe will take the biggest leap going into next season? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple. You rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you guys next episode.
1: Peace.